The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. Thank you, Ray, for for reading that passage for us. Um, If you have your Bible open still, you can turn it to Luke 12, and I'm going to read another passage from the New Testament. We thank you for being here today. Um, We look forward to to worshiping God as we've already done, and we'll continue to do that. And afterwards, we're going to honor one of our seniors, Gretchen Cook. And I tell you, we had a struggle this week to fit everything that Gretchen has done onto the front page of that bulletin. In fact, we had to cut a lot of it out. Um, She's a very accomplished young lady, and we're, we're very proud of her and look forward to what she will do in the future. Um, also, I, I noticed that um, Ron talked about potluck, and when he did, Grady just went like this and gave the touchdown sign. So I know at least one person's excited about potluck, I think, as we all are. So um, let's begin with this passage from Luke chapter 12. And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Why is it that we sometimes feel discontent with our lives the way they are? Why is it that that sometimes we feel unhappy with what we have? And most of us have probably felt like this at some point in our life or another. And for some of us, this may be a constant feeling. And perhaps you're living a life where you're never satisfied. And you're constantly striving after more. Although this is more of a problem in a consumeristic culture like our own, it's not a new problem. It's an ancient one. It's a problem that can be traced back all the way to the beginning. And so in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had everything they needed. They were completely taken care of. God had provided them with everything. They lacked nothing. And one day a serpent comes along And he gets them to doubt their contentment. He gets them to think that perhaps they're just missing out on something. He gets them to think that they don't have enough. And you know what? They need more. And this is where sin begins. Everything is fine. We have all that we need. And then we begin to think to ourselves... If only I had this. The writer of Ecclesiastes puts it this way. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. 
Discontentment is a lifestyle. And if this is the way that we choose to live our life, then we're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to find fulfillment. We're always going to be searching for something more. Now, what makes this even more difficult for us is that we live in a culture that is constantly telling us that we need more. And for the most part, we go along with this without giving it much of a second thought. Since the 1950s, consider this, the the average size of an American home has tripled. And yet, the family size has decreased by 30%. Our homes have grown larger, and our families have gotten smaller. Why is that? It's this belief that we need more. We think bigger is better. We keep expanding, we keep buying more, and yet it never seems to bring us contentment or fulfillment. Now, while all this is going on, um, people in our culture and society sometimes travel and sometimes visit third world countries where people have very little. They don't have large homes, they don't have a lot of possessions, they don't sometimes even have enough to eat. And yet, when we do this, we are surprised by how happy they are. I experienced this firsthand when I went to India. And I visited orphanages where 15 to 20 kids would would live in a room that is not much bigger than your bedroom. And the kids own nothing. They, They share a room with lots and lots of others. They are fed, but they're not given a choice in in what they eat, like many of us have, you know. And from my perspective, as I, I was noticing all that the children didn't have. And yet, they were some of the happiest kids I'd ever met. They were always in a good mood. They were constantly wanting to play. They enjoyed each other's presence. These children had nothing to their name, and yet they were content. And it wasn't just the children. The same could be said of many adults. And and sometimes this is confusing to us. You know, how can so many of us who have all these things be discontent and we go to somewhere where people have very little and they're content? But it shouldn't be because Jesus told us in Luke 12, 15 that, that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, Jesus is not giving us a law or a command here, but, but what he's doing is he's revealing something to us about life. If we want our life to be meaningful, then we need to look beyond our possessions. We need to look beyond our income. Life is more than what we have. It's more than what we own. It's more than what we collect and store up. And and we all sort of live in this tension between what we have and what we want. And if we're not careful, those wants can take over. And they can cause us to be greedy. They can cause us to be jealous. They can cause us sometimes to do things that we normally would not do. The lust of the eyes is a powerful thing. And it's sort of this never-ending spiral that we get caught up in. Because once we get in that spiral, we're never satisfied. We always have to have more. Now, God is very aware of this human tendency. In fact, it's addressed throughout the Bible 
but, but it's something that we don't really talk about that much. God's answer is for us to learn to be content. We need to be happy with what we already have. We must believe that we have enough. And so I want to share some scriptures with you this morning. These may be passages that are, are new to you. And I want you to soak in what they have to say. And you may want to write down uh, where these verses are found so you can revisit them later. I, I believe that these are important passages for how we are to live life. And if we're going to be free from things that imprison us, things that enslave us, then we must take these verses seriously. And so we're going to begin in Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13 verse 5. At the very end of the book, the writer of Hebrews writes, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what is it that we are to do according to this verse? We are to avoid the love of money. Uh, this is dangerous. This is what gets people in trouble. But not only that, it, it leads to discontentment. It, it's not how you find meaning or purpose in your life. The writer also says that we are to be content with what we have right now. And, and too often we're searching for the next great thing, the next ladder to climb. We want more, but the writer of Hebrews tells us not to do this. Don't, don't do that. Be satisfied with what you have. Why? Well, he gives us the answer. Because we have God, and that should be enough. The promise of God's presence is all that we need. And that should be enough to satisfy us. And if it's not, then we need to wrestle with that a little bit. Next, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7. Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Oh, that's the wrong word. I, I messed up there. Well, you're going to have to take my word for it. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7. Hopefully you brought your Bible this morning. So. Um, so Paul says here, there are two things that are worth a lot. They are godliness, and they are contentment. Now, now, think about this. Contentment is, is something that people would pay a lot of money for. But it's something that you cannot buy. Now, people try to buy it through the purchasing of things and the accumulation of goods. But contentment has nothing to do with what you have. In fact, the, these tendencies often lead to discontentment. And so, if we're going to be content, then we have to change our practices and we have to change the way we see the world. Why is the purchasing and accumulation of goods meaningless? Well, Paul gives the answer in this verse. He says that we brought nothing into this world, and we're not going to be able to take anything with us when we leave. And so that's not the meaning of life. That's not the purpose of life. That's not what satisfies us. There's something deeper than money and possessions. And next you have Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And Paul writes here, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, now this is probably the most famous passage regarding contentment uh, simply because of the last sentence. People take this phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and they apply it to all kinds of situations. And in fact, this may be the most abused verse in the Bible. Um, If not, it's at least in the top five. What Christ gives us the strength to do is not win a game or exercise harder. It's the ability to be content. This is what he is interested in seeing within our lives. He wants us to reach a point where we are pleased with what we have. And Paul explains that, that our contentment should not be contingent on our surroundings. And so we should be able to be content no matter where we are in life, no matter what we have, no matter, you know, if if we're living the good life or if we don't have very much at all. He says we can be, we can learn to be content in whatever situation we are in right now. And finally, there's Psalm 131 and verse 2. And the psalmist writes, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a, a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. How do we reach contentment? It's by looking inward. It comes from within us. It is a state of mind. It is who we are. And once we find contentment, we are set free from this continual striving after newer and better things. We are set free from the hustle and bustle of life. We look at the world differently, and we have a peace about us that others find attractive. And they want to know our secret. They want to know what we know. And so what are some things that we can do to become content? Well, we can begin with the scriptures that we just read. We need to read these passages. We need to meditate on them. We need to pray for contentment. We need to learn the difference between a need and a want. There are lots of things that we want, but there are very few things that we need. We've also been given an important spiritual practice that helps us reach contentment. And this is the practice of fasting. And so Jesus gives us instructions regarding fasting in Matthew chapter 6. It's something that the early church practices on several occasions in the book of Acts. Uh, It is a spiritual exercise that that helps us with many things. It helps us focus on what is important, on what matters most. It's often associated with prayer, and so especially in the book of Acts, you'll find um, phrases like prayer and fasting. But fasting is also a practice that helps us learn to be content. Now, we typically think of fasting from food, but we can fast from anything. We could fast from television, from the internet, from shopping, or, or whatever it is that we think that we may need a break from. And when you begin to fast, you'll probably notice that it's difficult at first. You know, let, let's just take one example. If you're fasting from television... You know, the first couple days, you're going to become restless. You'll want to turn on the television. Um, This is because you have a habit of watching television. We don't like when our habits are disrupted. 
And eventually a few days will go by and you'll begin to feel less restless. And you'll find other things to do to fill your time with. And you won't miss television as much as you did on day one of your fast. And you'll eventually learn to live without it. You learn that you don't need it. You become content not having it. And once you end your fast, you can go back to watching television, but hopefully you'll look at that practice from a different perspective from now on. You won't be as dependent upon it. You might occasionally choose to do something else with your time. And so fasting helps us distinguish between our wants and our needs. It's an important practice that that helps us draw closer to God, It's a spiritual practice that that helps us to kind of rely less on physical things and focus on spiritual things, but it also helps us to learn to be content. And so this week, uh, I want you to choose one thing to fast from. You may want to do something on your own, or you may want to do this as a family. Choose something that is meaningful, but something that you can live without. And before you do this, appoint a time period for your fast. It may be five days, it may be a week, it may be two weeks, whatever. And and while you're fasting, be sure and set aside some time to pray. Use part of your free time to focus on God. Pay attention to your feelings. Do you desperately want what it is you're fasting from? Does your fasting become easier with each passing day? If you find it difficult, then spend time reading the passages about contentment that we've looked at this morning. And remember that it is through this process that God is molding and shaping you into the image of his son. He's also setting you free from these things around us that sort of enslave us, and imprison us, and he's setting you free to live an abundant life. Come back next week. We're going to wrap up our series, um, our Set Free series, by talking about the importance of generosity. And so we're set free not just for ourselves, but we're set free for a purpose to bless others. And I hope you'll come back for that. Let's, let's end with a prayer. Father, we come before you this morning, and we confess that... We're not always content, that we are restless from time to time, that we're frustrated, that uh, uh, we're stressed, and we confess that sometimes we bring this upon ourselves, that sometimes we are striving after things that we do not need. We ask you to help us this morning as we look to be content and we look to find our meaning, our purpose in you. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus, who who lived a life of contentment, who teaches us how to live, who is an example for all of us. And we're especially thankful for his sacrifice on the cross. We pray this in his name. Amen.